Hey, co-conspirators, make sure that you go out and vote and make sure when you vote, you're voting for the issue and not the candidate. Make your vote count. You're listening to Building the Black Educator Pipeline, the place where we talk to real people in the real struggle doing the real work. I'm your host, Shana Terrell, educator activist dedicated to the lifelong struggle of freedom and liberation for my people. It's my favorite time of the month, y'all. The last Thursday with Dr. Greg Carr, associate professor at Howard University and host of In Class with Carr, the Black Table, and Chief Sabah of the K-Narrative. Hey, Doc. Hey, what's going on, Mama Shana? I'm so happy to hear you. It's his birthday season, isn't it? <laughs> it's coming, brother. It is coming. Birthday season. Ah. <laughs> It is yes. a positive. I'm about to say, well, as I'm thinking, it will be my birthday when this episode drops. So That's for what I'm sure. saying. Happy Since birthday. This- On behalf Thank of you, everybody who loves you and loves what you do and all the people impacting who are way beyond even that big number. Happy birthday, dear. Thank you, Doc. Thank <laughs> of you. Course. Well, as always, my birthday falls around the time of the mighty, mighty um, election season. Um, And that is what we will be (laughs) discussing today. Yes. Uh, This election coming up um, and its impact on America, brother. Mm -hmm. Super, super excited to to top and drop in and get into this. So some may say like election topic, like why is this so important? Like, why do we need to talk about this? Um, What's the relevance of this? Right. All together. So, Doc, why is it an important topic? Why are we talking about elections today? Uh, we live in a society. So because we live in a society, we participate in the society, whether we choose all the ways we participate or not. Mm-hmm. So uh, voting is just one mechanism to attempt to influence the nature of the society, how resources are distributed, um, what it, what we are called upon with regard to how we should treat each other. I mean, ultimately, politics is about power. It's about power and resources. And fortunately, we live in a country where the people who live here, brought together by some of the most brutal circumstances in world history, have fought to claw their way into having some say Mm -hmm. in how the country is shaped, what direction the country will go in. And how they will be served by the country. I'm not, I'm not big on serving the country. I could give a damn about the country. But uh, because they take money out of my check every two weeks and yours every two weeks, it seems to me that we should have some, in fact, the say, if we could, over how those resources are distributed. I don't want my money going to people who are already rich. I think okay. I, I, my money should go to people who don't have a place to sleep or eat or who can't get a basic grounded quality education, uh, who uh, need to see a doctor regularly and don't have the money to do it. Well, that's why I want my tax money to go. And so that, that's why education, that's why politics is important. And that's why voting is important. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that sometimes the election system, politics becomes really complex and layered for people. So it becomes super overwhelming. Um, but even down to the point where you say like, hey, they take taxes out of your check every month. No so question. You, you should have a say so about where your money is going. Um, how things are going to be funded. It's your money. <clears throat> it's our collective money. Um, and we do, we live in a, supposedly in a democratic society, right? Like, so it's a part of, pro- democracy is a part of this process um, and how we participate and how we form um, 
the power and the structures of leadership as a society. And the reason why I think it's important for us to have this conversation today is because I know, I mean, if you live in America, you're being flooded right now with tons of propaganda about the mm-hmm. election. Um, but it doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't do what it's, it does what it's supposed to do, but not what you would want it to do. Meaning we're not really educating people on the process. We're not really educating people on why um, they should be voting or what's happening. Um, one of the things that you think about when people hear about a national election, what do they think about that? What's the first thing they think about? Oh, it's a national election. What 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 election comes to mind? For oh, pre- president. The presidency. As if, as if we're voting on one person, it somehow shapes the whole country. Like voting on royalty or something. Yeah, yeah that's but right. That is the structure, right? Like that is how people think that the presidency, like, oh, everybody going to go on, but we need to vote for the president of the United States. <laughs> when people understand the amount of power and a power structure who really has power when you talk about government like president is like a, a kind of like a small piece of that right like he's the figurehead no he's no the question. talking piece president doesn't write policy um he doesn't get policy passed like tons of stuff i mean sadly if you sit in the seat of the presidency everything is your fault that's just <laughs> again the way that um you know, America has been designed, but when people think about the national election, people are thinking about the presidency. So right. I would love it if you could talk to us about what election is happening on November 8th, Doc. What's going on? And what is it going to impact? I don't I don't know. I mean, it might be that the country will pass an event horizon and it'll be a very different country on the 9th mm. of November uh, than it was on the 7th of November. Um, uh, talk yeah. about that. What you mean? Well, I mean, you know, the, the white nationalists are determined to destroy the country. I'm mm. just going to say it that way. Now, they don't think that. They think they're trying to save the country. And I encourage them to encourage in that. I encourage them because they're forcing us to draw a line. Are we going to be on the side of our common humanity? Or are we going to be on the side of hatred and hyper nationalism and nativism and these kind of things? And, and, and they're working very hard to do that. And I understand why, because the most precious thing for a white nationalist is their whiteness. And so they're trying to preserve some sense of not only white identity, but white control over the resources of the country in a country that is increasingly non-white and that will soon be majority non-white. Now, that doesn't scare human beings of any background, any culture, any color, but it does scare those for whom their whiteness, their imaginary identity as white people is the most precious thing in their lives. And unfortunately, the fact that we have to have this conversation is directly uh, a direct result of the fact that so many people who don't have adequate housing, who don't have adequate health care, who are struggling out there to make ends meet, have been convinced by those who not only don't have any of those problems, but who are doing not only doing quite well, but in fact, have an overabundance of resources. They've convinced some of these other people who don't have much of anything that whiteness is somehow valuable. Mm. And so they are going to go to the polls, not by the thousands or the tens or the hundreds of thousands, but by the millions on the 8th of November to protect their whiteness. And that's what's going to enable those who could give a damn about race, but who do give a damn about hoarding resources to maintain an over, uh, overrepresented sense of control in this country. And it's not just an American phenomenon. This is going all over the country. By the time uh, the United States goes to the polls on the 8th of November, 
Uh, the Brazilian elections will have been passed by the time this airs. The Brazilian election will be on the 30th. Uh, mm -hmm. You've got a purebred, full racist, uh, Jair Balanzaro, who is the president of Brazil, often called the, the Trump of the tropics, the DeSantis of the tropics, the Greg Abbott of the tro tropics. He's running against Lula da Silva. And uh, in Brazil, the Supreme Court of Brazil has checked uh, the disinformation campaigns coming from Balanzaro's campaign primarily because they have a they have a court in Brazil as opposed to the United States, which seems to have a federal bench that is increasingly held hostage to the white nationalists in Colombia, uh, for example, with uh, where our sister Marquez, the Afro-Colombian is the vice president there. They just unveiled their budget, which is increasing spending on social services and the safety net, which is redoing the tax code to tax the most wealthy to help pay for it. And it's also attacking oil and gas companies to push them to convert to green energy, because as the finance minister said in Colombia recently, you know, this is about whether or not human beings are around as a species. So Colombia is dealing with that. Australia just unveiled their budget with increasing funding for child care, for parental family leave, for these kind of things, and for creating the social safety net. And finally, mm -hmm. we saw what happened in England with uh, the uh, hostile to the masses, uh, big tax cut pushing, ultra rich helping Prime Minister Liz Truss was run out of office. And uh, after you know, six weeks, after six weeks, the young girls run out of office and, and replaced by a prime minister who was the uh, our equivalent would be secretary of treasury, the secretary of exchequer there, uh, the first Indian uh, person of Indian descent, non-white person to be in that status as prime minister who is saying, OK, we're going to have to walk some of this back, even though he's a millionaire and a conservative. I guess what I'm saying is the United States is lining up for what could be a disastrous election when fueled by white nationalism uh those who are the ultra rich who are running many of these ads through dark money or should i say white money uh, i shouldn't say dark money but white money who they're they're basically trying to convince the electric to work against their interests when the rest of the world is trying to fight to increase representation by the masses of people for the collective good mm. you know some places, perhaps even I mentioned one other because you took, I'm thinking about the black world in Haiti, for example, right now, as the United States prepares an invasion and they've been floating it at the U.N., <laughs> uh, you know, well, well then Mexico and the, United, and the United States and Mexico is in it, I think, in part because so many people from Haiti who have been uh, leaving Haiti have shown up at the southern border of Mexico. I hate to see Anlo get involved in that in Mexico. But at the end of the day, what you're seeing is that. You know, the United States is preparing to invade Haiti, but the people in Haiti who have been interfered with for 200 and some years uh, are pushing back like we do not want an invasion by the United States. The people of Haiti are able and need to be able to solve their problems. Now, it's much more complicated than that. It's going to be difficult for them to stand up a kind of government that is representative and they can kind of keep out foreign interests or keep them at bay. But the point I'm trying to make is really very simple and basic. People in society do not want to be exploited. They want to raise their children. They want to live their lives. They want to be. And when it comes down to exploitation, we're always going to fight back. And too many people in this country have been convinced that the people they should be building community with are the threat. When in fact, the people who are the threat to them are the people who are sending them out there to fight other people who don't have much either. And that's the status we're in right now in this country. And that's the truth. Um, and I think you broke it down like in poor man's terms, right? Like, 
<laughs> which is the terms we need to be thinking about. That's right. <laughs> it's the truth. And sadly, I mean, to me, what you describe, right, is at the crust of racism to convince, right? Because it's a social construct, right? So to That's convince right. people that something matters and you should like hate this group of people, even though you and this group of people, we in the same boat. <laughs> we in the same exact boat. Um, the same water. We ain't even in the boat yet. Right. <laughs> we all we all drowning in this smother together. Okay. <laughs> We are while people driving past us on a yacht and looking at one group and saying, ah, how could you be in the water with them? <laughs> Kick them down, fight to get out, drown, drown them and you will be free. Drown them and stand on top of their, or drown them and stand, stand on top of their backs to save yourself, but you ain't never getting in my boat, right? Like never. that's the that's thought that's behind it. But again, that's at the very foundation of, of what racism does, right? It divides us. It's set up to divide and it's also set up to, deceive us that's right um an effect that i mean constant loop after loop year after year century after century people are just taking a bait it's super sad it's sad so when you say that we're going to be a different country well, um, well let me let, i should be more specific about that i mean i mean let's look at what we've got on board right now there are, there are 36 governors races that are going to be decided yep uh this year there are seven you state superintendents senators? That's mm-hmm. right. There are U.S. senators, the Senate. I think there are 10, I think, uh, Democrats and is it 21? I think white nationalists. I'm sorry, Republicans who will be running. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and 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 really what, what's at stake is in many ways the the um, the trajectory of the country, because mm-hmm. many of these candidates are running on openly white nationalist uh, uh, platforms, campaigns. They are they are election deniers. They they say that the uh, election of 2020 presidential election was stolen, uh, particularly when you're talking about secretaries of state, which really set the time, place and manner of elections. They are attempting to throw people off of the voting rolls to gerrymander. They've already done this and they're going to continue to do it. Gerrymander districts so that people can't be represented in, represented in proportion to their people in, in, in the polities and the states. Um, and people say, well, voting doesn't matter. Well, if voting doesn't matter, why did they work so hard to stop you from voting? People say, that's not a good answer. Okay, well, let's get very, very, very specific. Um, if we look at the elections, the, the last governor's elections in Florida and in Georgia, um, I'm convinced that Andrew DeSantis may have, maybe even probably won the election uh, in Florida against this racist Andrew DeSantis, who is one of those yacht owning people who looks at the people in the water and say, I'm just like you. And then they're stupid enough to believe it because they're looking through these race colored glasses. But you know, the vote, the voting was stopped and many votes were spoiled. Uh, people went in with an intention to vote for um, for him, for not for DeSantis, but for his opponent, uh, the first uh, black gubernatorial candidate in Florida, Andrew Gillum, who uh, had a legitimate shot at winning and may have won, but a lot of those votes, votes were thrown out. In the state of Georgia, the former Secretary of State, a white nationalist gun-toting racist named um, Brian Kemp, was the Secretary of State in Georgia, and Stacey Abrams probably would have defeated him had he not, while Secretary of State, purged the voter rolls of thousands of voters, disproportionately Black, disproportionately Atlanta, Fulton County. So he set himself up to win. In this current election, there are more of these clowns, these pure clowns who are running for secretary of state 
in places like Arizona, in places uh, again like 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 Georgia, where they want to replace the guy Raffensperger, who of course is the Republican who they mad at because he actually allowed the votes to be counted in Georgia last time, mm-hmm. and they are setting it up so that they will be in control. If they can't control who votes, and they're working hard to control who votes, they're going to control who counts the votes. And, and this is these are people you're voting for. If you don't know who's running for secretary of state in your in your state, you better listen to this and go find out and find out what their position is, because you might be saving your right to vote. Exactly. And I wanted to lift that up because one of the things, right, like you said, when you can't control who votes, you're going to make sure who votes doesn't get counted. And in exactly. these elections coming up, voter suppression is going to play a major role Um in these elections, right? Because they're going to try to win these things by hook or by crook. Like that, like that is what's going to happen. That's what's going to go on. That's right. Well, mostly by crook, because as you see in Georgia, uh, still got early voting days and we're now in the early voting season. So if you haven't done it, you don't want to go on election day, please go and vote. Uh, but in places like Georgia and Texas, they make it look like, oh yes, we've expanded access to voting, but then using something that doesn't exist, that doesn't exist called voter fraud, They have passed through state legislatures in this country dozens of bills that have lopped off days for early voting, that have restricted, as in Georgia, days like Sundays, which is the typical souls to the polls, people going to church. Then you go as a congregation to vote, lopping some of those days off, that have restricted the number of drop uh, boxes and the places where they are in places like Harris County uh, in Texas, where Houston is and other places. In other words, they are fighting hard to restrict access to the ballot. Uh, Strict voter ID laws, one of the first floated years ago was in Indiana. Since then, dozens of voter ID laws, which say you have to have a certain type of voter ID. And then finally, to the point you're raising in terms of who will count the vote, when you're looking in states like Arizona, where, uh, well, I mentioned the Dakotas, North Dakota in particular, where they're saying you have to have an address on your ballot if you're going to mail it in, if you're going to drop it in. Well, a lot of the Native American uh, places, reservations, don't have street addresses. They are districts where they're saying, well, you know, they're going to spoil their ballots. You won't be able to vote. And in Arizona, they're saying, well, not only do you have to, in order to submit this uh, this drop, uh, drop by ballot or this mail-in ballot, you have to put in social security number or you have to put in a state ID and you got to put it on both of these uh, pieces of paper. So what they're doing then is setting it up basically so just like when we were fighting in the 1950s and 60s in the 30s and 40s to get the right to vote, the person counting the vote can just throw your ballot away. Mm, your ballot away. And this and this white national Supreme Court supporting the federal bench that uh, there were two very important voting uh, rights cases that came out of Arizona, Brinovich running for secretary of state, an election denier who um, basically Arizona passed two laws through their legislature, which said, if you show up at a poll to vote and your name is not on the rolls, you can count a provisional ballot. But if you vote in the wrong place through no fault of your own, Arizona is not going to count your vote. And it disproportionately affects Native Americans, Latinos, and Black people. <laughs> so they're, they're, they're looking for every way. So you say by hook or by crook, you're absolutely right. But it's more at this point crook than hook. Than hook. But the, the crookery um, attempting to make it legalized, which is why they're trying to get these people in office to support. To support how you're robbing and stealing people's votes. That's exactly right. And, if, and this is the, I'm glad you said that, Shannon, because in a sentence, if they get this control in this election, they are then going to put in place uh, measures to make sure 
you ain't never got to worry about them losing control again. That's why this mm-hmm. election is, is the one where they're going to break the country if they win. I agree completely, 100%, which is why I'm saying, you know, you see all of these ads and all this propaganda about who to vote for, but I don't think that people understand um, what we're facing. And if people paid attention, right, because again, to the general public, it's a it's a popularity contest, right? You're going to, they want people to vote for who you identify with. Um, but people also don't understand the structures in beneath, like how people vote, how people make policy, how people pass policy, like affects us for years to come. And I've seen this, of course, I mean, you've seen a whole bunch of stuff when Donald Trump was in office. One of the key factors for me for really understanding the importance of the office of the presidency mm. was the Supreme Court. Oh, no and, question. <laughs> and how Donald Trump being in office had the, the, the scales of balance tipped just because of who he got to select to That's sit right. in a seat, whether people were qualified or not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, none of the candidates he picked were even close to being as scrutinized um, as, as Katanji was, like not even close, right? Like sis had to be above and beyond with her resume um, in order to take a seat. But if people understand the people that we put in office are people who have the opportunity to make these very crucial choices. So when people turning around looking like, how did we teleport back to wherever in Roe versus Wade? This this happened way before y'all. Y'all when he put Kavanaugh in office and put um the other lady in office, this was already a plan. These things are like people are ahead of us. <laughs> the, a fifty year plan. It, it, all of this mm-hmm. is a direct reaction to the civil rights Black Power movement. Oh yes. Yeah. And like, the Federalist Society came into existence in the 1980s as the next stage in their fight, in their war, their war to shrink who runs the United States. And a lot of it fueled by the resentment for the expansion of rights of people of African descent, of indigenous people, Latin people, Latinx people, women. This is a pushback against the 60s. And they're very proud about that. They're very proud. They want to return to a white, leave it to beaver country. And unfortunately, these poor white men and white women somehow think they're going to have a house. And no, fool. And it ain't even poor white men and white women only. And I want liberal people to listen up. When you continue to say things like we're living in a post-racial society and you want to focus on only DEI and um, anti-racist thoughts, mindsets, and behaviors, I want to know how you voting at the polls. Okay? That's what I want to know. How are you voting at the polls? Well, too many people are picking it like Rihanna versus Brand. Y'all say like you said or something. I mean, this is not this is not a celebrity. This, you're not voting on your favorite song. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But people who run advertising know what they're doing because they know in this country that is how we've been socialized to think. For sure. You say you remember when wasn't it? Oh, I was going to say, I remember being in schools um, and elections were happening, right? So I remember when... <laughs> I never forget when Donald Trump got elected, right? Um, I was I wasn't surprised, right? Because we, we live in America, um, right? And just the fool the foolishness that goes on. But I remember the organization I work for like stopping and like we need to have staff circles. Like this is a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm in my mind like, don't y'all know that people work here voted for this man? Like what? Right. Like what? This is not like a, a travesty for all. It's a travesty for our kids. Um, it's a travesty for their families for sure. But I would like y'all to know that there are people that you employ 
<laughs> who work with black people every day, who know the conditions that we're under and will still vote for somebody who's racist. Um, and for a number of, of reasons. And I have some some topics that we can talk to to get get into about that, about the bipolar party that's happening. <laughs> I'm in America, mm-hmm. but but I just remember that happening. Um, and people not understanding the ground. How could people? So when you say like, yeah, poor white people know it's liberals too. Um when you when you have conversations about living in a post-racial society and you know it's more about social economics than anything. That is not true. Um and y'all are part of the problem um on having that thought process. So if you call yourself an ally or an ally to 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 folks, you gotta examine yourself too. And the fight was never over, right? <laughs> no, 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 no. The fight, and the fight is never over. I mean, this is the sad part about it. I mean, and you're right. I mean, you know, we talk about white, we talk about black, but when you talk about, uh, we saw what recently in Los Angeles with the LA City Council, you know, this there was an uproar because the then sitting chair of the LA City Council who resigned, talking to uh, a couple of other Latino uh, elected officials, made some very racist remarks, you know, threw the monkey word around, but she wasn't just, you know, she wasn't just talking about people of African descent. She was also talking about uh, Awaka. For example, in Mexico, there's a, you know, Awaka. In fact, the Black Panther movie, apparently the Submariner, uh, Ryan Coogler and them that made him Awaka, right? I think that's the language mm-hmm. she's going to be speaking in Black Panther. We understand that when we say Latino, those are just people who speak Spanish. But it, it, once you start, once you put race in there, a uh, uh, sister named Hernandez, who was at Fordham Law School, just written a book on Afro-Latinos and Latino racism. But some of that Latino racism isn't just against people of African descent. It's also against other people who speak Spanish. And, and, and as you said, as you said, it isn't race. It's class. Because some people have crawled their way out of or been propelled out of poverty, whether it be in the black community, the white community, the Spanish speaking community, whatever you want to say. And they looking at the rest of the people who look like them and say, my class interests are no longer in your class interest. Let's look at young Tim Scott in, in, in South Carolina, who's running for reelection. Tim Scott is black like you and me. But Tim Scott's politics are absolutely white nationalists because he has been enabled and promoted by white nationalists. So uh, he is one who you know, did not vote to impeach the, the sitting president of the United States who fomented a whole ass uh, insurrection on January the 6th, 2021. He is he, 2020. He is the one who will sit in his office in the United States Senate and work against the George Floyd Policing Act, work against the John Lewis Voting Act. But he will then sit up and say and fix his little mouth and say that he supports democracy. Sir, you're a liar. But your class interests are no longer the interests of the people who you come from. So you're right, Shana. Class plays probably, not that probably, class plays the biggest role in this, but in a racial society, class is often lived as race. That's why they talk about racial capitalism. I mean, and, and the things get mixed in together and it just becomes lethal for those of us who don't have much. And I always say, right, that the, the brunt of all of this is is poor Black people, right? They They... They're going to get the short end of the stick. And then you all left with comments from some people about like, why should I care about them? Um, and then for me, then I need you to think about humanity, right? Then you don't care about humanity. And that's something you got to live with, um, with within yourself. And for um, these folks who are voting and aligning with white nationalists, and you think that they're going to save you, <laughs> or you think that when it comes down to it, you're going to be, you know, 
up at the ranks with them. You're not. You're not. And if you're happy with just getting a small piece of the pie from their little table and eating off their crumbs, then so be it. Right. Like folks like that, I ain't got nothing to say to you. Um, I don't, especially when you understand how damaging the things that they're doing are not just to to black people, but to American society just as a whole. I was gonna say that's that's a key that's a key point you're raising. And I think everybody really needs to dial in on what you just said. If you want to be a racist, fine. But what you shouldn't have is the ability to then affect my life with your racism. This is this is the point with the the, the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health decision, as you said, the Supreme Court. You've got a, a stolen Supreme Court seat. Now, they would not let uh, Barack Obama fill the seat. Mitch McConnell, the racist out of Kentucky. And by the way, the junior senator from Kentucky, another racist named Rand Paul, is running against a black man, Charles Booker, in Kentucky. So if you're in Kentucky, you need to go out there and vote. They're saying, oh, it's a safe seat. Ain't nothing safe. The, the biggest number of people in this country uh, who are eligible to vote, who make the suit decide every year the elections, are the ones that don't vote. More people don't vote than vote either Democrat or Republican. So you could change the trajectory. But at any rate, Mitch McConnell held that seat open so he could put an illegitimate judge in named Gorsuch, Neil Gorsuch. He shouldn't be in that seat. Now, Brett Kavanaugh, who was not thoroughly investigated, if they had treated Brett Kavanaugh, they they treated Justin Fairfax in Virginia, who would be the governor of Virginia today had it not been for the white Democrats. Talk about liberal like Terry McAuliffe and them and Ralph Northern, who drummed up these charges of sexual assault against him. And, and Justin Fairfax to this day is screaming, please investigate me. I got all the witnesses. Please investigate me. The accusers went silent. Nobody would prosecute, but they didn't want Fairfax to get in that governor's seat because they knew he would win if he were there. And what did they get stuck with in Virginia? A white nationalist uh, named Glenn Youngkin, who has ran on an anti-CRT, keep gazing out of the bathrooms agenda. And as the governor of Virginia is trying to destroy the safety nets in Virginia. But I said all that to say that this point that you raise is critically important important because they are running not just so that they can be racist, so they can be intolerant, but they can impose their will. And with those stolen Supreme Court seats, with the Gorsuch seat, with the Kavanaugh seat, where if he had been vetted completely, he probably shouldn't be sitting there. Shout out to Clarence Thomas, who got some of those same damn charges against him, that black, white nastiness. The third seat is absolutely stolen as well, because when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, they they they, they, uh, confirmed Amy Comey Barrett so quick, it make your head spin. And that gave them the majority to pass the overturn role, which means we won't even go through the legal thing because we talked about it before, but let's just think about it this way. Instead of saying that this uh, destroys a woman's right to choose, and for those you say, oh, they just send it to the states. No, if they win the Senate back, they are proposing to put together federal national ban on abortion and Biden said, I will veto it. They're going to wait two years, get a get a Republican president back, and ain't nobody going to be able to terminate no pregnancy. So let's be clear, but I'm saying they passed that. It isn't just about a woman's right to choose. Here's what it comes down to. I read this other day in a, in a law review article and I thought it was beautifully put. These people are saying, mostly men, white men, a woman, a woman in this country does not have the right not to be pregnant. That's basically what they're saying. If I impregnate you, I don't care if it's rape, I don't care if it's your point. If I impregnate you, you do not have the right not to be pregnant. Now, that's some that's some handmade stuff right there. You can have any opinion you want. What we're talking about is the ability for people not to impose their opinions on you. This is the issue. So when you said that, that was critical. That's really what we talk. You want to be a racist? Fine. But what you're not going to do is impose your will on me. On me. Why? Why? And then that has me stop and think, what kind of world y'all really want to live in, right? Meaning, once again, <laughs> be racist, right? 
if you don't like me, I don't care. Do do what you do. But what kind of world do you want to live in? You really want to go back to to the kind of world where I'm saying yes, sir, massa to you? Like you really <laughs> no, you say of course with Doc, I can't fathom that. That these that no, I cannot. Look, if the Sixers make it to the Sixers make it to the final this year and Joel Embiid is out there and he has a game where he starts stinking it up, how many of them same people that claim they love him sitting down there watching him play gonna let the N-word fly as if they invented it? <laughs> this will be your man's. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm saying no question. They don't love for us. That's true. That's very true. But again, even the word, right? Call me nigga all you want, right? Once again, that's how you feel about me. Name calling, whatever, fine. But if you think that in your racist ways, right, that you're going to be able to control, <laughs> like, what I do, how I think, how I feel, how I exist in this world, at this time in life, is that really the world that people want to create and live in? That's just, I'm sorry, that's insane to me. And that, that's the piece I can't fathom. You can call me what you want, but if you really think that, like, we're going to change these laws and black people going, we're going what? What you going to try to reduce me to? To what? That's really the world you're trying to yeah, create? To your servant. To your, and I'm going to take, I'm going to take, and we sell our labor every day. That's what working is. We sell our labor and then we're not supposed to get the benefits of our labor. I mean, you mentioned in terms of the, like this election now, you got Sherry Beasley, for example, who's running for the United States Senate in North Carolina to fill an empty seat from retiring Republican senator. Uh, she came within 400 votes of being on the North Carolina Supreme Court. People say, well, I ain't voting. What does it matter? What does it matter? If 500 more people had come out and voted for Sherry Beasley, she'd be on the North Carolina Supreme Court. But I'm saying that because she's now running for Senate and she can win. But enough people need to register and vote and win. But why do I mention North Carolina? There's a case uh, out of North Carolina. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, not Moore versus Dempsey. What's the name? Moore versus Harper, where they have a theory that now they've got enough votes in the Supreme Court to actually make this stand up. Sadly, it's called the independent state legislature. So it's not enough. If you win a state election, let's say the state of North Carolina voted for Joe Biden in 2024, whoever's running for president for Democrats in 2024. Well, what these people are arguing is that the state legislatures in the states set the time, place and manner and control the federal elections, not the governor, not the courts. Now, let's think about that. That means that they can consider deciding they're not going to certify the votes from North Carolina for the candidate they don't like. This is the mess that they tried to float in Pennsylvania when Biden won Pennsylvania and the absentee ballots were coming in later because the governor of Pennsylvania had expanded because of COVID access to the ballot and a lot of votes came in after election day, but uh, they were counted anyway. Sam Lolito, this racist, sitting on Supreme Court, did his best. He said, sequester the votes that come in after the deadline in case we have to revisit this after the election. In other words, if it's close enough to steal, maybe we can figure out a way to throw these votes out. That was Pennsylvania, but it wasn't Pennsylvania. It was Philly. That's where, that's why Trump was running around saying Philadelphia, Detroit, they're naming cities. I said, I have to say that if the white nationalists gain control of the House of Representatives in this election, they are going to then began to investigate everything Democrat. 
Jim Jordan is going to be over a committee. They're going to restore this fool, Lauren Bobbert, and the other person out of Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene. They're going to restore their privileges in all committees. They're going to put Mark Meadows in as the Speaker of the House. And that's when they're going to be talking about Hunter Biden's laptop and they're going to try to cut Social Security. Uh, so all you poor people say voting don't matter. You better understand you just got an eight plus percent cost of living increase in your Social Security. Guess what? They trying to privatize that. Ain't going to be no Social Security and Medicaid. And Medicaid expansion in the, in the South, you can forget it. So all you poor white people talking about, I'm voting for Herschel Walker. You're going to be saying it with no teeth because they're closing hospitals, mostly in the rural areas. And your white nationalist governor that you about to go vote for again because he's showing you a gun in a commercial will not allow with that legislature the expansion of Medicaid. You can't even go to the doctor. They cut both your legs off of diabetes while you walking around calling me the n-word but the whole point is this if we do not vote they will take control of the house of representatives and gum the whole thing up they will also refuse to raise the debt ceiling which means they're going to try to bankrupt the country and if they get control of the senate oh now you got real problems and we can talk, I know we're going to talk a little bit about education in a minute because there's a whole slew of our uh, issues related specifically to education but if they can do that and then two years later, take the presidency. You can say goodbye to Social Security. You can say goodbye to Medicaid. You can see privatization of public education. You're going to see the ban on abortion. And so if you don't think there's any difference between the Democrats and the Republicans, guess what? As we are, as become very popular now, this black saying that now everybody wants to say F around and find out. Well, people are willing to F around and find out, Doc, right? Like, that's the thing. Like, not in this in this newer generation not voting is like a thing right because it's like a protest or middle finger to the system right so you already say that like of course you need to vote voting matters right and then there was a thing companies like vote or die like your life depends on it right diddy leonardo dicaprio this whole like you got you still got to vote vote or die everybody got to vote vote like your life depends on it so i mean again co the commercialization of the vote right but there are literally people who are like I don't identify with any of these candidates. It don't matter if I do vote. It don't matter what I want. Like my my stuff isn't going to be, you know, putting off as like my 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 views, what I feel like is important to me. Like, mm, so what am I even voting for? And there are people who just straight not vote for that reason. There's not a candidate in office that they like or that they identify with. So what what can we say to those to those people? Because they will straight not vote and say that this this whole thing is a sham. I just say, I just say very simply, not voting is voting because people think, okay, if I don't vote, it's not going to impact me. No, if you don't vote, whoever wins going to impact you. So it's very simple. It's very simple in Florida where you have a white nationalist running rampant in Andrew DeSantis. I ain't voting. Okay. You got a uh, sister Val Demings voting, running against Marco Rubio. She hasn't run a great campaign because the Democratic Party in this country doesn't seem to know how to get people elected. And they keep appealing to these white voters that ain't never coming back instead of expanding the electorate because they're so scared of non-white people and being seen as the party of that, that they won't do it. But let's say you don't vote in Florida and, and little Marco Rubio, who misses votes, who, you know, ain't doing nothing is in there. That's one more vote. That's one more vote in the federal legislature, in the Senate to cancel your benefits. So, you know, because they think, you know, he's running a campaign. These people are lazy. So if you're living in the state of Florida and you uh, wake up to a white nationalist Senate and a white nationalist House of Representatives and two years later, a white nationalist president, guess what? You're going to be like, well, what happened to my check? Oh, you ain't got no check. We, we, we converted all those accounts. Rick Scott, 
the senator from Florida. He is a straight thief. He has been uh, documented in terms of millions of dollars from Medicaid and social services that have flowed to his coffers. Well, he's going to be in po- a place to rate policy. So if you don't want to vote, no problem. If you're in Georgia and you got the, you're dumb enough to vote for a brain-addled, uh, serial abusive uh, football player named Herschel Walker against Raphael Warnock, well, guess what? When that trauma center closed in your city and in your rural area and you look at what happened, that's because they gave that fool a sheet and said, vote this way. And he stuck it next to his junior G-man badge and he voted against everything you stand for. But maybe you can just watch some of his old Georgia football games and console yourself. Oh, I'm sorry. You won't even be able to pay rent and you won't have much less have a TV to go reminisce. If you are in Ohio. If you're in Cleveland or Columbus or Akron or Dayton, you know, you got Tim Ryan running against this J.D. Vance, this hillbilly pretender who's a millionaire going back and forth. Well, guess what? It don't matter if you don't like Tim Ryan, because guess what? If you vote and if you don't vote and J.D. Vance get in, oh, watch and see what happens when they privatize education, not only in the state, but destroy the Department of Education so there's no oversight. And you look around and this ain't you don't even know what CRT is and you didn't vote. But guess what? Now your child's free lunch program is gone and you don't know how you're going to feed her. Now you look up and they have taken your tax money and given it to a private school and your child's school just got even worse. And the teachers all quit because can't nobody make a living wage. And now you say, no, no, you voted. You voted, chief. You voted when you didn't vote. Which means you gave two votes to your enemies. You gave them their vote and your vote because you didn't cancel them out with your vote on the other side. So not voting is voting. This is something people need to understand. Not voting is voting. And I think people need to understand it and and understand that even if you don't completely agree with a candidate and you don't love the options, you do need to pick the one who most identifies with the the security um, of your well-being. And then there are other measures and mechanisms that you use to hold those people accountable. That's um, right. Because you put them in office. But don't not vote. Do not disengage yourself um, from the process. The other thing I always think about, and it's just, again, because of the the circles that I run in um, and the people who, who raised me, is how voting is tied to our history, right? Our history, um, our freedom, and our liberation. So a large part of you, a large part of all of us, we owe it to people to exercise the right to vote. We owe it to people to figure out how to fix a system that doesn't work for us, um, because that's what folks did. That's what folks gave their lives to do to fix and push through a system that didn't work for them. Um, so to look at the modern day democracy and feel like I don't identify with anybody, this all sucks. And we just going to throw our hands up. That's not in the spirit of, of what we were taught. Um, imagine if, if Fannie Lou and the folks, you know what I mean? It was just like effort, <laughs> whatever comes, comes, right? Right. Still be sharecropping today. All right. But <laughs> no question. Well, some people seem to think somehow that, there would have been some kind of revolution because the things would have gotten so bad. These are some of our friends who would consider themselves radicals or far left. And my thing is, that's a great theory. Show me one place where that actually happened in real life. People suffer, you know, and people, and some, some of the people who do that, I'm saying, but you've done okay. You got a nice house, Mm -hmm. you know, you sitting inside and you most radical person in the world, but that person out there on the street who doesn't know what she's going to do, and her kids and this brother over here who don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. You see, go ask them about, you know, is this going to be revolutionary? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, no. 
policy and services. But see, that's crazy, right? That people would think that some people will suffer so bad it will be a revolution. Um, but the people who are at the forefront of revolutions and civil rights, y'all, these were all college educated people. These were the privileged black. These were the children of the black people who broke their backs. <laughs> that's right. To sit that's in the school right. who were able to obtain knowledge. That's right. College students. I mean, Bob Moses, you know, Bob mm-hmm. Moses and, and Charlie Cobb. And these are college students. Marion Berry, college students. UEP Newton, Angela Davis. Christian college student, PhD, and as Davis gets. But to your but to your observation, once you engage with the people and do organizing, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Hamer, who didn't have the chance to go to school, emerges as a leader precisely because she knows what the community needs. And we can't overemphasize what you just said. Was Mrs. Hamer talking about revolution? Yes. Was Mrs. Hamer talking about not voting? No. No. <laughs> voting is a tool in that fight. It's not the end all, but it's one of the tools. So I'm glad you raised Fannie Hamer. I said, well, Mrs. Hamer didn't go to school. No, she didn't. And she was fighting to vote. So what's your point? Fighting to vote, but it is more it's more than the vote to me when I look at like it is they were fighting to overturn the system that didn't work for them and not even overturn it, right? Fay Lou Heyman and the crew wasn't hopping in there saying, you know what, we're gonna flip this thing upside down. we they wasn't uh, performing insurrection, okay? What they said was we're gonna have a voice in this too. We're gonna have a party that speaks about the issues that we need. We 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 need a candidate in there that's gonna raise the issues that we're suffering from. That's what they did. We want a party that identify with with our needs. Um, so right. to sit here and look at how America is existing now in a two party system, and people continuously throw their hands up. Continuously, we throw our hands up year after year after year. We like, ah, this is stupid. You either got to vote Democrat, vote Republican. This is crazy. So my thing is like, for in terms of November eighth, right? That train has left the station. You got two <laughs> two choices. I mean, you need to choose the right one, right? That train has left the station. But people need to start thinking about right now, what can we do about this biparty system in America? So if I'm a person who doesn't want to vote and I don't identify, you know what I mean, with with Republicans or with Democrats, and people will say, well, there's other parties out there. And they are, right? So most of the time, the big hits that you get are independents or um, libertarians, right? Like those are the two that that come up think the problem that exists there, people are like, you vote for either one of them, you split in the vote. You just split in the vote. So people, once again, get discouraged from voting for a third or a fourth party or people that they completely identify with, because that's that's what happens. But what can we, how can we support people to start thinking about how to change that system? Because I do believe that that is a change that can occur. Oh, um, no question. In America, when you only left with two really bad choices, <laughs> That's what that's what we're left with. Like, that's not too difficult, though. I think in this sense, the first thing we have to do is rethink how we think about parties, political parties. And as you talk about the civil rights movement and the Black Power movement, there are important moments from our history that we can draw on that they're fairly recent. Uh, twenty twenty two marks the fiftieth anniversary of the nineteen seventy two Gary Conference, uh, Black Political Convention in Gary, Indiana. At that convention, which was a convention of black elected officials, but more importantly, mostly black grassroots folks and organizers and leaders from around the country hosted in Gary because Richard Hatcher, the first black mayor of Gary, uh, hosted it. He and Carl Stokes were the first two black mayors elected in major American cities in this country. Uh, the, 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 they had a real knockdown, down drag out fight. One thing they wanted to do was form a black political party. 
some black Democrats elected officials, the Congressional Black Caucus was new. This is the year Shirley Chisholm ran president. Um, they came to the conference with the determined for black people not to form an independent black political party. And, and they came out of Gary uh, with a compromise. They said, what we'll do is form an independent black kind of political formation, a party that isn't necessarily always about electoral politics. And that's how we have to think about political parties. A couple of years later, they formed in BIPA, the National Black Political Assembly. I was talking to Ron Walters. Uh, we're going to actually going to have a meeting at Howard. It's in, in, the public are invited. We can drop the links for folks. It's going to be at Crampton Auditorium on the 10th of November. I joked with him last night, if it's still a country, he came to my law class and talked to my law students about this history because he was there in Kerry. But I'm saying all that to say this. A black political assembly, a black political party that generates report cards, that evaluates candidates, whether they be Democrat, Republican, independent, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you're running candidates, although you can do that. What it means is you're coming up with a common political agenda and then you're seeing, particularly in a duopoly like we live in, Democrat, Republican right now, which of these two candidates will help us get what we want. The party then becomes a mechanism for organizing. See, the thing about it is elections aren't just about voting. Elections should be about organizing yourself and then exerting power. People think if you're just waiting to vote for somebody, you're not organized. You're not going to get anything. I, mean, I think about there in Philly. Once someone told the story many times, we were in freedom schools and they didn't want a baseball stadium in Chinatown. And we had a lot of Chinese American students and Chinese students in freedom schools that summer. And we that was our social action issue. We did not want a baseball stadium in Chinatown. We went with city council. We did presentations. But the thing that will always strike me is one time we were in Chinatown and some of the Chinese elders were there and we were talking about it. And uh, one of the elders said to me, you know, you know, you don't see any Chinese on the uh, city council in Philadelphia. Yeah, I said, no. Nah. He said, why would you try to run somebody that might rile everybody up if they look like us when well, you could just own the politicians that are in there? That's how we need to be thinking about party politics. If you don't like Democrats and Republicans, you shouldn't. But you should have a political formation, an assembly, an organization that can help you then vet those candidates and then you endorse. So if we think about that, every once in a while, you'll see an independent insurgency. You'll see the Jesse Jackson campaign, the Rainbow Coalition, which eventually got folded into the Democratic Party, but use the Democratic Party to push that party. And, and sometimes you'll see like in Utah right now, there's an independent named Evan McMillan who's running against the white nationalist election denying Mike Lee, the Republican. And he's got Lee shook. Why? Because he's saying I'm an independent that can win. Bernie Sanders wins in Vermont, a small state. But we have to think much more expansively about this question of electoral politics and political parties. So finally, I, I, I'll end with this. The money in campaigning now, again, a rogue Supreme Court, John Roberts in 2010, Citizens United, flooded elections with money. That's why all these damn ads are on the air, even more so than before, because many people who are funding this stuff don't have to tell who they are. That money has just about neutralized any notion that you can just campaign and win an election. Elections now will be won by those who organize the hardest. And, and if you, and well, well, the, the money for sure, but here's the thing. If you have an independent political party, you then build that party between elections. You knock on doors, you talk with people, you sit in town halls. And once you've done that, when the election comes up, maybe you run a candidate. But even if you don't, 
you have now improved one of the two candidates that are going to run because you now hold enough votes to tip the election one way or the other. We have to be more sophisticated, in other words, to how we think about uh, political parties. I would agree 100 percent. But I don't think we hear that. I don't think folks talk about that enough, um, to be honest. So when I think about it, I'm just like, how? Like, we got to start talking about viable solutions to how to resolve this issue because we are losing votes, number one, right? Like, people are just like, I ain't voting. I don't like these people. Well, don't vote for the, the independent. You're going to split the vote. The people are like, well, I don't like the people who are running. Like, what do you want? Yeah, but one do? of those two are going to win. The independent's not going to win. <laughs> that's the point. So you, if you like the independent, that's just fine. Go on and vote for them, which means you just voted for the person you don't like. Of the two, one you don't like, the other one you don't like even more, the third person you like a lot, you voted for them. So guess who you just voted for? The person that you don't like the most. Because typically for black people, and again, I think about this in terms of education, you've got uh, Republicans running for uh, governorship. 19 of them have come out for school choice. Now, I'm for quality education for black people. But these governors aren't for quality education. They're for privatizing public dollars. That's what they're doing. 11 of these candidates have come out for what they call a parent's bill of rights. Meaning what? They want your parents, they want the parents to be able to see all the books, see the curriculum, have final say over what's going on in the schools. And of course, you want parents involved, but do you want the parents now coming in and saying, who are the guest speakers? Who are the guest lecturers? And if the feds, if they get control of the Senate, Josh Hawley out of Missouri floated a bill last year, introduced a bill that said you can sue your school district if you don't like the books in the library, who came to speak. If you look in now, teachers go to school, but the parents some kind of way going to have a bill of rights to say, I get to control all this. Now, on the Democratic side, you know what their number one issue is? The, the people running for governor? Increase school funding and not only increase school funding, but teacher pay raises to get better teachers into place, raises for the staff. They want to also, in fact, there's a there's a, a referendum in, I think it's Colorado, that wants to make sure that the tax increase that goes through, if it goes through, everybody in Colorado who goes to a public school eats free, regardless of income. In California, they try to put, they have a ballot referendum. They put a 1% tax so that everybody has the arts and music in their school. That's what the Democrats are doing. Now, if you're dumb enough to think that that is the same as somebody who wants to strip all the money out of public education, so you're going to vote for somebody else or not vote at all, then I'm thinking you should probably go back to school. Or at least listen to this podcast because because you're not making no sense. Definitely <laughs> listen to the podcast with. I'm glad you rose those issues in Rosenbaugh education because another thing that's important for people to look at is there may be certain politics that don't align with with you with a specific candidate. But look at all the issues. Look at how they're voting on all the issues. I um, mean, look at the issues that matter to you. So though you may not agree with that candidate on specific things. There may be some things that really, again, are going to be not just beneficial to you, beneficial to society as a whole and vote on those issues. So sometimes I tell people, how about you don't vote for the candidate? Vote on the issue. What are the issues? There it is, Shana. Say that that again. Don't vote for the candidate. Vote for the issue. What are the issues? What are the issues that are upon us right now? What candidate is going to give us the best opportunity to be able to make a change in the issues that you want to see? Vote for the issue. Don't vote on the candidate. 
So the things that you're naming right now about Democrats as a whole, when you look at the issue of education, if you are an educator listening to this podcast, if you're looking at the issues of education, how are the Republicans in your state looking at education? How are the Democrats in your state looking at education? And vote on that. Identify with that. Um, and not some, not a bunch of the nonsense that people are putting in front of you with the propaganda. That's right. No, no. When you look at mental health, for example, nowhere is that showing up in the arguments for the Republicans running for governor, for state education superintendent, state and local school board elections, or the ballot initiatives. What you see, and, and, and let's people say, well, you know, we're nonpartisan. We're not Democrat or Republican. Fine. Listen to Shana Terrell. Look at the issues. Somebody running for office, you need to ask them, what's your stance on public school funding? Because my child goes to a public school. What's your stance on paying teachers so that I don't have to worry about somebody who just turned loose in the classroom, whether it be Virginia under Yunkin or Florida under DeSantis? You can say random people come here and teach my child. What, what is your stance on mental health support? This is in the platform of so many people who are running on the Democratic side. It doesn't even rank on the Republican side, where is mental health support for these children who are struggling just to get through life and then come to school sometimes for safety? Uh, public safety is on both Democrat and Republican agendas. But what does it look like? You trying to arm teachers in Florida and Texas or are you trying to create more uh, school support staff in the buildings? Now, that doesn't always help. I, I just, uh, you know, we just saw the school suit in St. Louis. I've got students right now at Howard who attended that performing arts high school. I've got students in my classes this semester who were at Hardin High School in Kentucky when the school shooter came in and killed somebody. And there were school police in the building and metal detectives there, too. So that's not always going to keep you safe. But if you're looking at the issue of curriculum and instruction. What's my child being taught? How is she being taught? Look at the books. What kind of books do they have? Look at the uh, the support systems and the support staff. And then if you got a candidate running this saying, look, I want restrictions on bathrooms. I don't want them learning about slavery or Africa. I'm worried that uh, I want the bad. I want the books put out the uh, the library. I don't want them learning nothing about sex education. And as a parent, I got the right to come in here and rip up this curriculum. Okay, if those are your issues, you should vote for that person. You should, but, you know. But I don't think those are your issues. Like you said, look at the issues. Stop looking at the people. <laughs> look at the issues and not the people. Which is why when I told the story that I told about when Donald Trump got elected, I wasn't I wasn't mad that people voted for Trump because those are people who, in my mind, you voted on issues that identify with you personally the most. Well, I think they voted on the person. They voted on the person, Shannon, because them same people turn around and when you poll them, for example, we just saw it, didn't we? We just saw it after the abortion ban. We just saw it in Kansas. Mm-hmm. All them people that voted for Trump turned around and said, oh, no, you're not putting an amendment in the Kansas Constitution to ban abortions. But wait a minute. Y'all voted for Trump and Trump put the judge on that took away abortion. Y'all weren't voting for issues. I definitely think well, some of these people got caught up in the red hats. Right. But again, yeah. when we talk about the issues, I, I don't know if people knew because of what his rhetoric was him himself or his rhetoric. I don't think that they knew that that was undercover, right? Like he was about that life either, right? Good point, good good point. And I think that people always look at this man and he's smarter than what y'all think. Like- No no question. He's stupid in action and nature sometimes, which is like annoying, but he's really smarter than what y'all think. He know exactly how to, I mean, he's market, marketing strategist, genius, whatever you want to call it. He know exactly how to get y'all, okay? We're going to put on this red hat. We're going to keep talking about God's gun and glory. This how I'm going to get y'all. I don't think they had a clue that that too was was under his jurisdiction and what he was wanted to do. Um, P 
people when the people vote on issues, the other thing is like, yes, look at all the issues. Um, I yes. think people a lot of people voted for Trump. I know in the spaces that I was in, social mm-hmm. economic reasons, right? Like okay, yeah, like what, what, okay. So what would they say? Say yeah, you voted for Trump for social economic reasons. What did they think Trump was going to do for them? Well, you know, people have this false identity about the tax bracket that they believe they in, <laughs> and the, and the benefits that they, you know, what I'm saying they going to receive. <laughs> you know what I mean? From the tax break or the bracket, sometimes people have those false notions um, when it comes to to that. Um, so they align in those kind of ideals, right? In those kind of things. Um, also, conservatorship, like so, that there's a, a part of him that that identifies with conservatives. Um, that's what I would find most black people who were black conservatives um, would, would vote for him. Um, but again, that is a issue. Look at the issues, okay? Just because you identify with them as a conservative, look at all the other issues and how it's going to impact you, your life, your family, your livelihood, and your well-being. And I think that people need to do way more research on the issues that are facing us um, to get to understand what candidates we want to put in office to service our needs. Um, But the things that you're naming, people don't think about, Doc. No, they don't think about that. And they don't think about, I mean, let's, let's, again, another great example. Look at the state of West Virginia. There's a ballot initiative. If you're going to the polls in West Virginia, they're going to vote to decide whether or not, if you're to have a, the state school board has changed anything, whether or not they have to now send it to the legislature for approval. Why is they doing it? Why are they doing that? Because what these states have done, the white nationalists through gerrymander have now created power bases for themselves in the state legislatures. So in a state like Wisconsin, for example, where it's almost about 50-50 Democrat-Republican, you have a legislature that has a Republican supermajority because they've they've gerrymandered it and the Supreme Court let them get away with it. You've got a senator, by the way, Mandela Barnes, potential senator, a brother who was leading in the polls against Ron Johnson, a real racist, another election denier. But uh, the carpet bombing of activities, uh, the carpet bombing of rather of uh, of ads over the last few weeks. Now talking about crime and all that stuff. They trying to scare people into not voting for Barnes. But how does this relate? So what I'm about to say is is what brings this home in West Virginia. You understand that this is the same state where coal jobs and the and the idea of coal mining and the whole romantic oh we need that's what they use to keep these people voting against their class interests because some coal jobs not coming back and so they keep saying oh no but you got to vote for trump and him because he's for the workers he gonna bring back coal liar you're not bringing back coal the world is going against coal but here's what the democrats done even with a guy like joe manchin who is a millionaire who has exploited these people and made profits off of them for years even with him cutting back the amount of money the Democratic Party has been able to pass through both houses of Congress and get a presidential signature for job training by the millions of dollars, billions of dollars in support. So then what happens finally? If you are working in an industry that's a dead end industry, factories closing all over the country, and Donald Trump comes into your town or these white nationalists come into your town, J.D. Vance and them, we're going to bring all those jobs back. They lie into you and you vote for them and they get in power and they take your tax money and give it to their billionaire friends and you mad as hell. Guess what? Right now, you have more resources for job retraining, to go back to school, to do all these things because of a, 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 a party, the Democratic Party, which isn't perfect, but it's better than the white nationalist party. And finally, guess what these white nationalists are doing? Right now, they are campaigning. They are taking credit for laws that they voted against over the last two years. 
So in New York, in Ohio, in Georgia, they're saying, oh, we're bringing this money in. You voted against it. And you want me to vote for more people so that you can make sure that a law that you're now taking credit for would never have been passed. This is madness. What you said is so true, Shana. Look at the issues. Study the issues. In fact, take the candidates' names off. Come in your come in with your let me grab one of these note cards here, these blank notes. Come with your report card of all the issues, and then just say, I'm voting whoever got the most on my list. And then look up and then pick the name. Don't look at no commercials. <laughs> Don't look at no, just look at your issues, see what they're on it, and you vote that way, and you will always be better off than if you didn't. That's the best option until we no move into a system that's not a, a two-party system. You got to vote for the issues. You have to, definitely. Um, and even after we do, even after we do that, because at the local level, you can win some independent elections. Yes. You can run, you can run a candidate on the independent level at the local level, the you state can. level. We see it all the all time. The time. You look at the Philadelphia City Council. We got real representation. We got Isaiah Thompson. Shout out to him and the family and the baby. I see a new baby has just made it into the world. That's a beautiful thing. But I mean, in the city of Philadelphia, you can control your politics. Well, I'll give a prime example since you bring up city council for Philadelphia, um, Kendra Brooks. Um, she, Absolutely. Her party Absolutely. is the Working People Party. That is the party that she ran under, and that is the party that she got elected under. Like, she is not a Democrat. She is not a Republican. She's a candidate of the Working People Party. That's an even better um, example. That's exactly right. She's a great example of what you mean when you say at a local level how to you can run an independent campaign, so to speak, um, and win. But I think if people put more stock, more energy, more time, and more organizing in it, um, it could, again, that could rise above just, just local. Um, no, if- no. Well, in fact, it's a great example in Louisiana right now. It would be beautiful, uh, brother Gary Chambers, who's yes. running for Senate against mm-hmm. John Kennedy. Now, I mean, he's clearly, in terms of TV ads and all that, he's ahead above everybody. My man slights up the blunt. He come, he he burned a Confederate flag. Now, people, once he gets your attention, you find out the guy knows some policy. He does. He's not a lightweight. He knows what he's doing, but he keeps telling people. The biggest number of people in Louisiana who are eligible and registered to vote, who decide the election, don't vote. He said it ain't the number of Democrats. It ain't the number of Republicans. The biggest number in Louisiana are the people who are registered to vote and don't vote. He says, I can beat John Kennedy, but I can beat this white nationalist. But y'all got to come out. But here's where the independent politics comes in. He's running as a Democrat because, as you said, there's no independent party infrastructure built in Louisiana. And even the Democrats, going back to what you said a few minutes ago about the white liberals and black liberals, so to speak, they try to stop Gary Chambers. They they stopped him when he ran for Congress. They put somebody else in, a black dude who is in the pocket and part of the lobbyist cancer alley and all that. Then when he didn't win that, he's running for governor. The state Democratic Party would not give him the unqualified endorsement, even though he won the primary. This is the Democrat. So then people say, well, see, that's how the Democrats are. So I'm not voting. No, fool. He's still running in the Democrat. <laughs> vote for, if you like Chambers, vote for him. Don't wait for two or four or six or eight years when he comes out with the Black Party of Louisiana. Right now, he's on the Democratic ballot. Again, issues to your point. You throw the baby out with the bathwater, and guess who ain't gonna have a place to sleep to bathe you or the baby? You when these when Kennedy gets back in and guts Social Security and Medicaid. This very simple. It seems simple, doesn't it, Shannon? What's wrong with our people? Why can't we just do this? It's it's simple, but it's not. It's simple, but but complex. And saying that to say, it's simple to us. Um, you are 
you have a law degree, and I majored in political science. So these are these are interesting. Oh, oh, oh that's true. We went to that's true. And actually, you know what, Shana? It's interesting because there was an article in the New York Times about a month ago about this very issue. Uh, the person, and I don't I don't buy this headline, but it's interesting to think about. They said it's really not even about race. It's not even about class. This country is now divided between the people who went to college and the people who didn't. And then they go through the statistics and see the farther you get away from college, the more likely you are to vote against your class interest. That's scary as hell. <laughs> it's scary, but it's not surprising. It's scary, but it is not mm. surprising because, again, you count mm. people who go to college or who are educated as a much the quote unquote privilege. And we are to a certain degree. So if I'm blue collar and I'm just hustling, making it from check to check, trying to feed my family, I'm not thinking about all of this academia stuff. And again, not only has politics become commercialized, it most definitely has become who has access to knowledge as well to understand how the system works. So if I can just really get a soundbite in there and pique your interest, you like me. So you're going to vote for me because you're not thinking about all of the complex things that actually how government actually works, because government is not easy to understand. So you're not worried about or thinking about or have even been exposed to how government works in order to vote for the issues that are going to impact you. What happens is whatever is also sensationalized in the news. That is how people get their political information. TV. <laughs> and maybe if you read the paper. So you're then also now you're not doing your own research. You are now consuming somebody else's ideas, ideologies, or the broken down bite size on how they decided to synthesize something and spit it out. They don't read the paper. They read this. They scroll in through their phone. Right. And looking at sound bites. That's a new wave of where information is coming from. But I, that's why I'm not surprised about that. Right. That 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 gap is there, which is why I still am always going to put the responsibility back on us. Right. Back on the privileged. How do we then educate the folks who don't have the power, and who don't have the knowledge to be able to mobilize a group of people to make a change? And that's true. And and, and it's and we should also mention that everybody go to school now, Rich, not privileged. People try most people in community colleges, most people trying to and many people take out loans. So there are at least four lawsuits working their way through the federal courts where they're trying to stop the Democrats through the Biden administration for giving a little bit of loan relief, loan forgiveness. And, and people don't understand the majority of people in this country who are poor people and working class people who went to community college or went to HBCU or went to a public school. They if are Pell Grant eligible, which means they are eligible for up to $20,000 of debt relief. And guess what? That covers most of the people who qualify. So ask them people. You know what I'm saying? So when I say privilege, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the idea that you had access to college and that that, that makes you more, more privileged than other people who don't. But you are exactly right on that point. I'm glad you made that point because I want people to understand people go to college to be broke. Okay. Especially if you're black. So they're... And there's a there's a gap amongst black people. There there are those who can't afford to scrape and survive to go. So you go and, and inundate yourself with loans. There are a, a class of people who can't afford, it and they're great, but that's really small, right? There are people there are people who are only eligible to go to college for a semester, maybe a year, and they're kicked out because they cannot afford to go. So all of this rhetoric and nonsense about this loan forgiveness and people who chose to be plumbers are going to be fitting the bill for that. That's come on again, but that's the soundbite. Somebody who is a blue collar where, huh, we can't get this loan forgiveness. I didn't go to college. I'm not paying for those people. That's the soundbite. And this is why that people, people have, we have to work to make sure that people are educated on the issues and on the system. So again, we can mobilize and organize people to make a change. That's right. Um, but doc, we are winding down, brother. That was 
thank you for today's episode because I mean we probably could have did another forty five minutes. Um, of course, um, on this, but I really want to thank you for today's episode because I really think it, that it's important as we move into um this election season season for people to understand the issues and the things that that are ahead of them. So, folks, go vote, but vote on the issues. Don't vote on a person. Um, and Doc, I'll, I'll let you give any final word about this election season, folks. I just will say again, listen to what we just heard from our sister Shantarell. The issue is not the person. Take some time. If you're in Pennsylvania, you get caught up between, oh, John Fetterman, he had a stroke. What are, what are Fetterman's policies? Um, Dr. Oz, what, what are the policies? Right. I mean, if you are in Georgia and seriously still thinking about Warnock or Walker, set it aside and just go straight policies. If you are in Florida and it's Demings versus uh, Rubio for the for the Senate, look at the policies. If you are in Wisconsin and it's Mandela Barnes versus Ron Johnson, don't even get caught up in the rhetoric. Don't worry about the debate. Go look at the policies. If you're in Louisiana and it's Gary Chambers, if you are in Kentucky and it's Charles Booker, if it, you know, it's it's wonderful to have representation that looks like you. But it is, at this point, it's not even about the color of the person that looks like you. Because if that's the case, everybody's going to go vote for Tim Scott in South Carolina. Look at the policies. That is the most potent thing. I wish we had T-shirts with that and it had them printed up six months beforehand. The policies, not the people. That was genius, uh, Sister Shana. But then I expect nothing less coming from you. Uh, seriously. But y'all listen to this, sister. Will y'all please? We got a little time. By the time y'all hear this, you got about five days between in now. And, and I didn't mention today. Maybe we'll talk about this another day. They, uh, you need 36 states to approve to have a constitutional convention on the United States Constitution, Article 5 convention. They're close enough to be talking about having a white nationalist state level convening for a constitutional convention. And you want to see a dance? Watch when they lock in. If they can get that constitutional convention, they, you better get you another passport. <laughs> the ride. Okay, the KKK will ride, honey. The KKK will ride, okay? That's what that sounds like. So thank you so much, Doc, for coming on today. Shout out to all my folks out there who support us and listen every week. This show is hosted by the Center for Black Educated Development and funded and produced by our partners, Bright Beam. So please subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, everybody. Peace. Until next time.